Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After. I am your host, Stacey Francis. And today I'm going to be speaking with Lisa Zeiderman. She's going to be talking about divorcing a narcissist. And she works with many clients who are doing just that. She's a managing partner at Miller Zeiderman, one of the top and largest matrimonial firms in the New York and Tri-State area. She's also a certified divorce financial analyst, which is actually quite unique to see for an attorney. That's typically a designation that a financial, someone like myself, would have. Well, this helps her navigate all the things she needs to know. And because of that, she tends to work on extremely high net worth, complex, financially sophisticated divorces. And funny enough, often there can be a narcissist in play when that happens. She's been well-recognized by many organizations and was named in 2019 one of the 10 best family law attorneys for client satisfaction by the American Institute Family Law Attorneys. And she's well-known in the community and in the field for her divorce expertise. And you can read her blog, if you like, also on Psychology Today. So without further ado, please help me welcome Lisa Zeiderman, who is our guest today, talking to us about everything we need to know about divorcing a narcissist and living financially ever after, happily and financially sound. Thank you, Lisa, for coming to Financially Ever After. I am excited to have you here a good friend and a fantastic matrimonial attorney. But you tell me, I mean, did you always know you wanted to be a matrimonial attorney or was this something that you found yourself called to? So I guess I would say I found myself called to it. I had gone through my own divorce and as I was going through my own divorce, I realized how important it was to have somebody who really watches your back through your divorce. And I realized that I could be that person. I hadn't actually completed my bachelor's degree at that point. And certainly hadn't gone to law school. And so it meant really restarting. I had had a career in the fashion business, closing my business in the the fashion industry on 7th Avenue, and Mm. then going back to school, essentially. I went to Fordham, and then I went to Fordham Law. Wow. So you really restarted your life. I did. Yeah. Wow. I really knew at that point that I could really make other people's lives better by becoming a divorce attorney and that I understood the stress of it. The fact that you needed an attorney who could get back to you quickly, who could answer your questions because everything when you're going through a divorce seems so critical and so stressed. The fact that you're dealing with your children, custodial issues and finances, those are the two most stressful parts of your life. So you really need somebody who's going to be reactive to you. I mean, responsive immediately, essentially. And talking about needing someone to have your back during divorce, I can't think of many other situations where it's needed even more so, especially when you're divorcing a narcissist. 
And that's what we're talking about today. So I'd love to just find out, I mean, when someone says I'm married to a narcissist, what does that really mean? How bad is that? So it's, you know, narcissism actually comes from a Greek myth about narcissists. And it was a man who actually saw his own reflection in a pool and fell in love with it. And there are essentially narcissistic traits that someone might have, but they also might have a narcissistic personality disorder, which is obviously much more serious. And we see both very often in custodial issues. There's a forensic psychologist who does a deep dive and an evaluation. And so sometimes they come back and they say that somebody has a narcissistic personality disorder, but sometimes they also say that, no, they don't. Actually, it's just narcissistic traits that that are appearing. But either way, it's a difficult personality disorder for many people to deal with, particularly going through a divorce. And, you know, those things that are considered a narcissist, and I love that this goes back to great mythology of looking at the reflection and falling in love with it. How does it show up, particularly during a divorce? So, you know, when you're sitting across from a client and then you're hearing them describe their partner, what are the things that make you think, oh boy, we might have a narcissist or at least someone with narcissistic tendencies on on your hands? You know, very often during a consultation, during the initial consultation, someone will come to me and say that their husband or their wife is so charming or so magnetic or has such charisma that they are really concerned about how well they're going to do during a divorce, during negotiation, that everyone is going to fall in love essentially with this person, that they will be able to trick the court system, the referee, even myself. They are concerned that I too, when I'm sitting in a room with this person, will be spellbound essentially by their charisma and that I will be taken in essentially. So when they talk about that person, they talk about you know the charm, the self-aggrandizement, essentially that they're in love with themselves, this aura that they give off, and also a lack of empathy for anyone else. So often they might be people who lie, people who you know aren't, they may be very charismatic, they may appear in a great suit and, and have a, a fabulous job, but they didn't actually fill out their tax returns, or they don't file their tax returns, or they are gamblers, or you know are essentially in extramarital relationships very often because they need to fill their own self, essentially. And so they are often people with low self-esteem who are trying to fill that void for themselves. And they Mm -hmm. do it by essentially falling in love with themselves. Mm -hmm. I almost think of it as a Central Park horse. And in Central Park, when you see the horses, they have these special kind of like sun guards and it allows them to see right in front of them and down. And that's it to keep them focused so that they don't get spooked by the dog walking by or or whatever. And a lot of these people, it reminds me of those Central Park horses. They're focused on themselves. Mm -hmm. They really don't have the ability to see the 360 purview and how their actions are affecting other people. And so are these people then more difficult to negotiate with, more difficult to like, how does it show up then? And so they are more difficult and, and very often they are more charming. So, you know, you sit in a room and they are more charming and, or you're in the courthouse and they are more charming, but I have found, and I've spoken to therapists about this too, that 
someone's experience of their spouse is not necessarily going to be my experience of that spouse, right? So they believe that because they were taken in essentially, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. they they fell in love with this narcissist and they bought into essentially what this narcissist was about, right? And created a life around this narcissist that I too will somehow fall into that trap. And what they have to understand is that my experience is going to be different than their experience. And so one way to deal with a narcissist is to play along with it, right? And so sometimes I've done depositions where I literally am playing along with the narcissist and, you know, talking about all the great things that that the narcissist has done for the spouse. And, and that helps me sometimes with lifestyle issues or issues in terms of maintenance and all of that. The other way is to start to break apart the narcissist, essentially, to start to discover the lies or discover the affairs and to point it out during court appearances or during depositions or during negotiations. And the narcissist, who really is a bully in my mind, right, is a bully and who really doesn't want to be found out, will start to rethink maybe some of the negotiations at that point and start to rethink what he or she is asking for, because usually it's just so unreasonable what he or she is asking for. So it's it's about, you know, still doing the due diligence that we always do, making sure that we put together a case, essentially, whether we're going to negotiate it or whether we're going to be in court, making sure that we've done our homework, because that's that's the most important thing in dealing with a narcissist is being able to be smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just as smart as they are, if not more. And it's interesting that the two different strategies of playing along with, you know, you've done so many good things, you know, really playing up to their grandiose image of themselves, whether it's true or not, but in using that to get more information and also wanting them to want to keep that image of you've always been so caring and you're known in the community for that way. And don't you want to be known for taking care of your family afterwards? And the other piece I love of breaking this apart, the second strategy of starting to show where they haven't lived up to that grandiose image and having them recognize that. And then again, pull from that of wanting to rectify their image. And so much of it, I think about it as a bowl that has a hole in it. And if it has a hole in it, water is always going to come out. And so constantly has to fill that bowl for him to stay full and doesn't want anyone to know that there's a hole in the bowl and that all that water is going to come out. So if you've been married to a narcissist, I can only imagine that it's really debilitating, frustrating, tiring, emotionally difficult. If she comes to your office and you can clearly see who she's divorcing and it's this, this person, a narcissist, what do you tell her that might be a little different than a typical divorce? Or is it exactly the same? You know, it's a very interesting thing. So I would say that at the end of the day, it's not that different, right? Mm -hmm. I consider myself to be very strategic. I always say to people when they come to to my consultation, I'm not a bull in a china shop. I can be aggressive but I can also be strategic about it. And not every case is the same. Every case is very different. So you have to be able to read somebody in a room. I think that that's very important. And I guess what I would say to that person is I'm very good at reading somebody in a room, 
I think that's probably one of my strongest qualities and being able to figure out, well, do I need to soften it or do I need to be more argumentative? Do I need to you know, come down hard or do I need to step back a little bit and let that person do the speaking and let them tell me about themselves and, and, and let them lead in the deposition, right? Or in the discussion or in the negotiation. It's really a question of being able to read your audience. And I think that that's the most important piece of it. And so when someone comes to me, I wouldn't say that it's the same. I mean, you have to think about the fact that you're going to have this very charming person who is basically has no empathy, is likely to have lied, is likely to have not disclosed assets. There could be wasteful dissipation of asset issues because of marital waste, such as extramarital affairs or gambling or drugs. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. with narcissism, that is a very likely situation. And so you have to make sure that you are diligent in going through all of those records, making sure that you go through the credit cards and making sure that you account for all the money. And so I would say that that's one area that you have to be extra cautious is to make sure that you've done that, that due diligence. You know, we do it as a matter of course, but specifically, you know, I will want to see those credit cards. I'm going to want to see the American Express and the business credit cards where they are likely flying girlfriends across, you know, the world and and staying at these wonderful resorts and, you know, taking those extra days on the back and front end of vacations, of business trips, for example, as vacations. So lots to look at. And again, to be very reassuring to the spouse that you're dealing with, because they have to understand that you have the experience and that we deal with with people like this all the time. And so I know what a lot of the women listening are thinking right now, they're thinking, uh, you're describing my spouse, you're describing my ex-husband. Is there any compensation for that really awful bad behavior? So yes. What does that look like? So if there was marital waste, you know, we have found millions of dollars in marital waste for people. I mean, in, in many cases, we have had people who literally have credit cards full of marital waste. And so we go through it and we calculate it. And many times, you know, the spouse will do it with us because they know whether they've been on this trip or that trip or actually, you know, the bag that was purchased was for them or for someone else, right? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, the jewelry. So we add it all up and then it should go back into the marital pot and be equitably divided again. So absolutely, if there was gambling and we've had huge gambling cases, we account for for the gambling and goes back into the marital pot. Same thing, you know, for, for drug addiction issues or any other substance abuse issues. So yes, mm-hmm. there is a yeah. reason to do the calculations because that is part of equitable distribution. Yeah. And how are people attracted to narcissists in the beginning? Is it is it because they're so darn charming and it's this image and then you realize it's, you know, like for me, I, I get very frustrated with those boxes of candy that come at Valentine's and my husband knows not to do this. I will only accept one of those if it has a guide because what ends up happening is you pick one, you're like, that looks really good. And then you bite in and it's like a cherry blah, blah, blah. And it's awful. And I feel like that's what we don't have guides. You end up getting married and then you realize who you just married when they're true colors and they can hide their colors for weeks, for months, even in some cases, years, but eventually it comes out. So how do we get tricked into this? And I mean, more importantly, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again to us? They're seductive. 
I think there is a glow, right? That people want to be near something that's glowing. And it's very seductive to be near someone who is charming and charismatic and ha- and and you feel safe about you know your life because that person feels like he could take care of the world essentially yeah. right and that person will take care of you you know that is the hope right and the problem is is that when it doesn't work out that it's going to be quite the opposite right because that person is really has no empathy for you that person really doesn't care about you. That person cares about himself or herself, okay? And so the red flags to watch out for are, you know, even during the the dating process to make sure, uh, is this person only talking about himself or herself, right? Is this person interested in what you're interested in? Is this person interested in you and finding out about you and in sharing some of your interests? Or are you actually really just hearing about this person and what you know his interests are. And so I think that it is about making sure that the person is empathetic, has an interest in you, is really not just about themselves. It, there's an arrogance, a selfishness. You can recognize it. It, it takes practice. So for me, yeah. I can recognize it because I've yeah. seen it so yeah. many times in my room, right? In my negotiation room and in the courtroom. But people can watch out for the red flags for sure. And those red flags can also be their behavior. You know, not having empathy means that most likely these relationships have been much more volatile, much more likely to have some type of emotional abuse or gaslighting. And so women come to you and they've been through thick and thin, they've had it, and they might actually be afraid of the person. And, Absolutely. And getting divorced is hard enough, but then standing up for yourself and your worth against someone who you loathe and who scares you and frightens you and who has really damaged you. How do you find the strength to do that? And that's really why you need a, a good attorney, but you also probably need a good therapist. Mm-hmm. And we really make sure that our clients have a team of people and frankly, a very good financial planner. You know, you and I, Stacey, have worked together. You're a phenomenal financial planner. A lot of the people that we've worked with together are people who are married to narcissists, right? Mm-hmm. And they need the strength of a team. It really does take a village in a lot of cases. And so yeah. we try to, to make sure that our clients are seeing therapists or seeing financial planners or working with professionals who can help them because it's not just about good lawyering. It's also about emotional support because a lot of these these people have been battered and either emotionally or physically battered and they can't take anymore. And as you know, the process of doing this, of going through a divorce takes stamina because if you get worn down, you are not going to be able to achieve what is fair and right for you. It, It will never happen. And if you're dealing with a narcissist or anyone else who's been abusive to you in some way, right, it makes it much more difficult to maintain that stamina because you just want out. And getting out is not really the solution. It's getting out and doing well when you get out. Yeah. And making sure that you yourself are supported so that you do have that stamina, but that you also have an attorney that's going to be there. And like you said, has your back so that when you can't carry the burden anymore, that they can, right? Because 
I can only imagine there's a point, and I've heard so many women say this, I decided to settle because I just couldn't take it anymore. And then you look at the agreement and it's so inappropriate. You know, things like only pay for college up to the SUNY cap, which is the State University of New York cap, which is, I don't know, $10,000. It's it's a me- meager amount. And then she ends up wanting her kids to have every opportunity in the world and she has to pay the rest for college and she's not the, the earning spouse. So it's one of those things where you understandably just want the pain to stop, but remembering that these are decisions that are going to impact you and your family for the rest of your life. And so realizing that it's going to be a marathon, it's not going to be a sprint, and pace yourself, get that support, and make sure that you have the right person on your team to be able to help you. And this is a question also, and it it might be a little controversial, but I want to talk about it. So what about mediation? I know mediation can work in a lot of a lot of cases, but I would be concerned in a case where she fears him, where she doesn't have equal footing or doesn't feel like she has equal footing, where his role is more of a bully. Can you make it work or are, are certain cases just not really appropriate? So I always say to people that if my husband and I were divorcing and hopefully we'll never divorce, right? But if we were divorcing, we could sit in a room and divide up our assets because I really, I can have that discussion and really advocate for myself. And and so can he. And also because I'm very knowledgeable about our finances and so is he, right? So this would be an easy way to mediate. However, most of the clients that we see don't actually have that knowledge and are not able to advocate for themselves. And when you're dealing with a narcissist and going into a room with someone who you think is completely charming and seductive, and now you're going to be sitting in the room and you're going to be thinking that in your head, number one, whether it's true or it's not true, you're still thinking it. And if it is true, then you have a mediator who is there to essentially get to a conclusion, a resolution, but it may not be the best resolution for you. And if you can't advocate for yourself at the table, if you don't feel really strong and knowledgeable and able to do that, I don't think mediation is the right place, to be honest with you. I think that you need a strong attorney who's going to be advocating for you because chances are you're not going to be able to do it, frankly, in in a room. And I think that a lot of times, particularly a narcissist, will use mediation to control. And it is a form of control because they go into the room and they know that they they know what their assets are usually, and they know what the expenses are, and they also for sure know how to charm and, you know, and essentially with their charisma and with their mannerisms, they will figure out a way to get to the end that they want to get to. And they're there in that mediation room, from my point of view, they are there because they think it's a place to win. That's really the issue. Yeah. And if they're coming to mediation for the goal of winning, like, yeah, that's just not the right thing. And, you know, a lot of these individuals are actually extremely successful. I mean, if I don't want to name names, but if you look at the top CEOs, CFOs of Fortune 500, many of them have these characteristics that have has allowed them to truly succeed, to be able to convince, be able to, in their glow about them, 
move up in their career. And so they know how to navigate. They know how to make good financial strategies that have worked for them. And that's something where you're walking into a, a room and you're not on the same playing field. You're just not. And it's essentially not fair. You know, we've worked in a capacity where we've supported her and run the financials because she's in a mediation and we see that. And, you know, a good mediator will will recognize that and make sure that she gets support and works with a CDFA. But the challenge is, is that that lawyer can't protect her. That lawyer is not there to advocate for her and is truly an, a neutral. And I know that if I was afraid of my husband, I I would feel much better having someone there to stand up for me. You I know, agree. And I, I, I just, I, yeah. I agree. It, so what is the best thing to do if if you're sitting listening to this and all of the signs point to your spouse being a narcissist and you can't take it anymore and really want to start the divorce process, it sounds like for this person, she more than most people needs to collect data, needs to get the information and become as informed as possible so that she can go through this process as prepared and as ready as she can because so many of these individuals do try and get one up by not sharing information, hiding information, disclosing, you know, non-disclosure. That's 100% true. I mean, collecting information and making sure that you you get the information, see if you have the tax returns in the house, make copies of the tax returns, make copies of the account statements if the credit cards or you know, statements are coming to the house, make sure you make copies of them. Those are things to bring to your attorney even in your first consultation so that you have them with you. And starting to understand what the the finances are, you know, asking your spouse, very often, these are people who don't have the passwords to the account information. So asking your spouse for those passwords and looking at the information, that would be ideal. But it doesn't always happen, right? Sometimes that information is going to the office instead Mm -hmm. of the home, as we all know, right? which is to me, by the way, a clue that there's a problem, okay? If all the financial information isn't coming home, then that right away is is a red flag to me. But assuming that it's not and that you don't have that information, you find a, a great attorney who's going to help you gather the information. There is plenty of time to do discovery during a divorce. And there are various discovery techniques that we use to get the information. And it's very rare that someone is permitted not to give information. I I will say I once had a a client whose husband said, you know, when I said, well, how am I supposed to get the information? You never give me any. And he said, well, you'll do what you've been doing. You'll subpoena, you'll find the information. He said, you seem to be very good at doing that. That's what you'll be doing. And to his truth, he did not give the information. And we found, you know, (laughs) the, the five to $10 million that he was not disclosing all over. all over, And the client got a, a larger share of equitable distribution as a result, because my argument was that I don't really know if, everything, if we have everything, if I so found she should everything. have more. Exactly. Yeah. And the court will do that if they find that, that someone is not disclosing. So there are various methodologies to, to dealing with these problems. And people should not be in fear of going through a divorce because they 
are afraid that that this isn't going to be fair or they won't be able to get all the information or I'll never know. Yeah. Most we will know. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a woman today who just finalized her divorce six months ago and she was smiling ear to ear and she was married to a narcissist and actually unfortunately abusive. And she said, it was so hard to leave, but I'm so happy I'm out and that I can start to live my life and that my children don't see how he treated me and grow up with that, thinking that that's okay for them. And it was just, you know, I really wanted to share that story because what you say, Lisa, is so true that this is a journey and it's going to require some strength. But you know what? All good things are not necessarily easy. And, you know, I just really appreciate you talking about this. We're coming up to time. So I wanted to just kick it back to you. Anything else you want to make sure that we share today? And then also before we go, I want to make sure that you share your contact information with our listeners today. So I would say, you know, we've gone through it, Stacey. And I think the most important thing that your listeners can do is to find someone who is credible and who they trust to represent them. I think that's the most important piece. You're going to go through this long journey. It is not a, as you said, it's not a sprint. It takes time and people need to feel really confident about the divorce attorneys. Yeah. I mean, this, this needs to be someone that you know has your back. And, and I think you described that perfectly. So Lisa, our listeners, to find out more about your practice and Lisa's practices both in, here in Manhattan, as well as in upper New York, and you've got great team members everywhere. Can you give a little bit of about where you are taking cases, uh, how people can, can reach out to you guys as well? Sure. So we are one of the largest matrimonial firms in the New York area. We have offices in Manhattan and in Westchester, and we cover, you know, obviously both those areas plus Kings County and Rockland and Putnam and, you know, the outer boroughs. People can reach me at my website, which is mzwnylaw.com or 914-455-1000. I also started a, um, a new site, which has a blog, melissazeiderman.com where people can find a lot of articles that I've written. Um, I write a blog for Psychology Today, so they will be able to see my blog there, as well as New York Law Journal articles and other articles that I've done. And we have an incredible team. I've got a great team of associates and attorneys who really are phenomenal. So yeah. and um, I we're can here to help. That. Thank yeah, you. I can second that. We've had the fortunate blessing to work with a lot of your associates and they are on the ball. Now it's always, always a pleasure to, to work with you guys. And thank you so much for talking about, this is a really important topic. We've never covered it before. And it's about time because this is uh, something that we're seeing more and more. And 2021, it is the year of many new beginnings in many different ways. And what I just, I pray for the women listening who are thinking and sitting on the side fence, just at least to go get information, right? Get some information and that way you can make a decision about what's right for you for the long-term. And remember that short-term pain, it's long-term gain. And you really just wanna make sure that you're living your best life and whatever that looks like. So thank you so much for joining us. 
everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. And you'll see that we've included all of Lisa's contact information and the website in the show notes so that you can take a look there and visit her website, go in for a consultation. And I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for listening. A happy 2021. I'm excited for a new year. And again, make it your best year. Thanks so much, Stacey. It was great speaking to you today. And thank you all. I really enjoyed speaking with Lisa today and in particular appreciated her insight of using different strategies to be able to navigate a divorce with your narcissistic husband. And that was the strategy of playing along or the strategy of breaking him apart. Because essentially, divorcing a narcissist, you don't want to be a bull in a china shop. You want to have strategy. And talking about strategy, you want to have a clear strategy with your finances. And if anything, if you are divorcing a narcissist, you need to be that much more on top of your finances with an understanding of the income, the spending, the assets, so that you can be as prepared as possible to negotiate and achieve what you deserve to make sure that you're financially secure. And if we can help you with that, that's what we want to do. So please reach out. Reach out to me. My email, Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. And you can also visit our website. There's great information, great details about how you can go through this process in the most supported and whole way possible on our website as well. And that's www.francisfinancial.com. So please reach out. You're not alone. We're here and we can guarantee that you will have the financial information that you need, that you deserve to make decisions, good decisions that will set you up financially for the rest of your life. Thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After and we'll be seeing you in two weeks.